Good morning, everybody. This is Regis Philbin. Now, hello. How are you? Welcome to the QZR podcast. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> it is Sunday morning. I'm feeling a certain kind of way today, I guess. <laughs> I hit go and then I just do whatever the fuck I want. You know, who cares at this point? It's the QTR Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Today is Sunday, January 17th, 2021. And if you can hear my voice, we're all not dead yet. The world has not ended, which is great news because we got a full day ahead of us and lots to look forward to. So first thing I'm going to do is shout out some of my patrons who are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I want to shout those people out. Then we're going to get on with the interview today. Then we're going to play for a million. (laughs) I was just reading an article about Regis Philbin, which is why I'm doing the Regis Philbin voice this morning. Oh, my God. Here we are a minute into the podcast and nothing but complete fucking verbal diarrhea at this point. I'm going to shout out some of my patrons, the people that make this podcast possible, and then we're going to get on our merry way. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the only place I buy gold and silver. If you use my link in the podcast description, they will give you free shipping on orders over $199. And if you email Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, at jmbullion.com, she would be more than happy to help you. She is there exclusively for QTR podcast listeners. Tell her you want $5 off your order and free shipping if you order a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff. At least she'll make sure you get taken care of. Not the VIP treatment, but you don't have to be some uh, rando on the internet. You get a little extra personalized service. We're going to talk a lot about gold and silver today, I imagine. So if your interest is peaked and maybe you've never bought bullion before, you have questions, email Kathy or uh, use my link over at JM Bullion and uh, they'll get you squared up and take care of. Just tell them QTR sent you. This podcast also brought to you by my homeboy, George Gammon. George Gammon, of course, was my last podcast guest. I have been on his podcast numerous times. He runs the insanely successful Rebel Capitalist show on YouTube. Uh, he is at George Gammon, G-A-M-M-O-N, on Twitter. If you haven't watched the Rebel Capitalist show, it is insanely informative. And the way I describe George's show to him is like, if you were to take my show and cut out all of the bullshit and really want to get a little bit more serious about macro and understand what's going on instead of me kind of just spewing out half-truths and things off the top of my head and whatever brain fart pops into my head. If you want some organization, you really want to understand the macro picture, George Gammon, Rebel Capitalist Pro, is the best possible platform to do that. If you're coming at things from our angle and you want to see things from our perspective, uh, I would recommend Rebel Capitalist Pro. I've been a member now for just about a week. The uh, The forums are incredible. There is an infinite amount of resources on the forums, great topics, great discussions, live Q&A with George Gammon, who I happen to think is a very smart guy. Uh, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh over there helping him out. You get a glance. I was looking at Lynn Alden's portfolio yesterday. Very, very cool stuff over at Rebel Capitalist Pro and gives you access to my buddy George Gammon, who has just turned into a fucking total YouTube stud and with good reason. So if you'd like, George will work with you on pricing or whatever you need to get started, whatever you need to feel comfortable getting started. Just check out my link in the podcast description for Rebel Capitalist Pro, and I will see you in the forums over there. You got to send me a shout and say hello. This podcast also brought to you by my homeboy Sang Lucci over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. The Steam Room is, in my opinion, the best piece of software to track 
unusual options activity in the market. It's so much more than that. It's going to give you psychology. It's going to give you sentiment. It's going to give you tape reading. Uh, you know, Lucci and Wall Street Jesus have been doing this for a decade. They are experts at it. I love them. They are my friends. They're honest people, just like George Gammon, just like, you know, the people at JM Bullion. Everybody I try to keep on my show as uh, patrons, I like to have people that are easy for me to recommend. So if you're looking to get to know Sang Lucci, and we'll be doing a Lucci Meets this summer in Philadelphia, but check him out over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. Wonderful piece of software. All of his links are also in my podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by my homeboy Pete Hedges at the Trader's Path, which if you're looking for a day trading community, this would be the one that I would recommend. Pete Hedges started the Trader's Path because he got tired of the nonsense and bullshit of other day trading services. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. His link is in the podcast description. Any one of these people, if you want to try their shit out, tell them QTR sent you and tell them you want a discount and they're going to make sure that you get taken care of. Just tell them I sent you. That's it. Because we can't have them stop supporting the podcast because that would be exceptionally bad for me. And as we know, this show is all about me. (laughs) This podcast... I want to shout out also some of my most recent patrons. We're going to have a good one this morning. Phil Bach. What's up, brother? I think that's the ETF guy. I think I was on your podcast. Thanks, man. John Guthrie, Chad Widmer, Joey Fody. Thanks, brother. Greg Brophy's in the house. Camila Saul, Ted Renner, Salvatore, Alexis Glazer. Thank you. Alex Glazer, my bad. Igor K and Joseph Gallagher. William Skews. Thank you, my brother. I want to shout out my friends at Corvus Gold Investors Underground. Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Minsmeyer will be on this month. I swear to God, Jay. Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, what's going on? And some of my oldest patrons, then we're going to get started. Like Raymond Corota, what's up, my brother in Bluebell? I still see you, my man. Thank you for your continued support. Bobby Brooks, my friend Bart Courtright, thank you. David Fiorino, I appreciate it very much. couple things to remember. There is a three-drink minimum for this podcast. Three-drink minimum for this podcast. Also... I am not offering investment advice. I'm not an investment advisor. I hold no licenses, no registrations. I am not making recommendations. You need to assume I have a vested interest in everything that I talk about. I'm trying to come by this conversation honestly and this discourse honestly. We're just people here batting around ideas, nonsense, and bullshit to hopefully inform the listener a little bit. But I don't want to hear about the great trades you made thanks to something you heard on the podcast, and I don't want to hear about the time that you bet your fucking family's fortune on the ponies and you lost. Folks, that's why people have therapists. I highly recommend that you get one if you need somebody to talk to and download all of your problems onto them because I have enough of my own. With that being said, let's get started today. With me today, I have... A man who I had no fucking idea who he was until he invited me on his podcast. And uh, he's an author of Into the Wind, The Purpose Principles and Profit from Happiness. He runs a YouTube channel called Jake Ducey because his name is, in fact, Jake Ducey. And uh, I'm happy to have Jake on. I I spoke to Jake for the first time when I got uh, invited onto his podcast and I took a look at his uh, YouTube channel, and it's all like manifestation, law of attraction type stuff. And Jake's got this like long, like surfer hair. I'm like, oh my god, the fuck is with this guy, you know? And then I started talking to him, and I was like, yo, I really like this dude. So, <laughs> Jake Ducey, what's up, brother? How are you? 
I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Good Sunday morning. 29 years old from California, right? 29 years old from California right now, living in uh, in, in Utah, though. We we made the California ex- exodus actually Did you? this year. Just yeah. like everybody else. What what pushed you over the edge? Lock, the lockdowns. I was already going to leave. My wife wanted – you know, we, I didn't tell you, but we were living in Maui for the last – four years, my wife and I, but when we had a baby, she wanted to have it back in San Diego. And, um, so I said, okay, you know, we'll live there for 12 months and then we're out of there for taxes. But when the lockdowns happened, I mean, it was obvious that it was going to keep going. And so we just, we got out of there in Utah, Utah never shut down any businesses, at least in Southern Utah, not one, nobody lost jobs, everything's open. And so that was kind of the, the final straw. What is the state coming to? What is California coming to when, you know, long, blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer guys are leaving? What does that mean? <laughs> I think you're judging me too much by the way that I look. No, um, I mean, it's... Um, Am I wrong? You know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a... I guess you'd call me a libertarian. I, I would prefer not to be called anything. But, I mean, look, people are... Um, People are waking up. I mean, I'm a business owner. You know, I'm a capitalist. I'm a business owner. And, and it's, of course, those are the first people to wake up and the first people to leave. But, I mean, it's obvious you're, you're heading towards a disaster. I mean, you've got many, many, many companies leaving with bringing a lot of money and a lot of employees with them, obviously, to places like Texas. And, I, I mean, I can't see how it doesn't end in massive um, federal bailouts. I mean, now that you've got a democratic house and Senate and, you know, in all likelihood, it appears that you have Biden and Kamala. My guess is that they, they get bailed out, you know, in a big way. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is if they can't keep that state afloat with having all of the constituents that it had over the last, you know, four or five years before people started defecting, if they can't keep California afloat with all that tax revenue. Well, how the hell are they going to keep it afloat now, now that everybody, you know, people like you, all these Silicon Valley tech guys, you know, celebrities, Joe Rogan, all these people, corporations, they're all leaving California. So the the tax revenue is going to be absolutely decimated. And I think you and I both know there's only there's only one answer to that problem. Right. If you're if you're a uh, Democrat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be increase taxes they're gonna you know there's a prop that doesn't allow to increase um residential or commercial taxes they tried to do propaganda on that and say they were raising commercial property taxes to fund schools i mean they're obviously it's it's gonna turn into you know i mean it's a place i don't even want to go visit ever you know it's gonna turn into a, a very failed experiment in you know, uh, government overreach. Yeah. What was it that pushed you over the edge? Was it one thing in particular? The lockdowns. I mean, it's silly. It's ridiculous. There's so many lies. I mean, Gavin Newsom in February, he said he made an announcement and he said 25 million people are going to have coronavirus within like a a fucking week or some like, it was just absurd. And I, and, and it was in every paper and I turned to my wife and I said, there's no data where he got any of this from. This doesn't make any sense. And, 
you know, it just kept going. I mean, you got you got fines for watching the sunset. I mean, you know, almost every business um, that I know either went under or was close to going under. And, you know, it was two weeks to flatten the curve. It was it was ridiculous. But then it, it kept going. And it was obvious that this was going to be a tool that's going to be implemented for years to come, you know. And so we went to visit Ashley's family, my wife's family in Utah. And we went over there and I never thought I'd live in Utah, but the first day everything's open, you know, nobody has masks on. And I went into the gym and I said, fuck that. We're, we're grabbing our shit and we're leaving next week, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was funny. I was looking for something to do on new year's Eve this year. Usually I travel by myself for new year's Eve. It's a, uh, I don't know, tradition. I started some years back. Uh, and so I was looking this year, ultimately I didn't really wind up doing anything, but I was looking like, well, where can I go? Where where are there no restrictions? And it was basically like Utah, Tennessee, Florida, you know. And, and so then I went back to look at COVID data for these states, uh, you know, on a similar scale with other states, on like a log scale with other states. It doesn't look like there's any huge difference in infections, in deaths, in the you know rate of change of things. And so then you just wonder like, all right, well, what – what are these draconian measures doing? And I don't know if it's a product of the virus just got here earlier than we thought and spread quicker than we thought. I think that's probably the case. Um, but at this point in time, like, how do you weigh the risk reward of the lockdowns and continue to arrive at the idea that, you know, I think the UK shut the whole country down again until March or something. It's just like, what, what is driving those decisions? I think it's what you said. I think you have all these politicians that, are pulling data kind of out of the sky and aren't really experts and definitely aren't, you know, thinking with their common sense. Um, and they think they know what's best for everybody. And, and this is, this is what we deserve, right. For electing them. Well, I mean, it's a funny way to say it, but I mean, I, I guess it's true. I mean, it, we're, we're moving away from the principles of what America was about, which was small government and, you know, we're, we're electing psychopaths and we're giving them free reign to bring as many psychopaths in as they want, you know, and, and we have such a docile population um, that nobody's critical thinking, nobody's looking at the ramifications of this and nobody's looking at, at, at all. I mean, they just do whatever they say. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I hadn't thought of it like that, but I mean, it's, it's hard to argue against that point. <laughs> Well, we live in a representative republic, so these are the representatives we've chosen to represent us. And I mean, we're we're reaping what we sow to some degree. I think what you just <laughs> said, I think what you just said, makes a lot of sense, though, because I said the exact same thing yesterday in a conversation, which is people are just doing what they're told. That's it. There's there's no pushback. There, there's no questions. There's no nothing. You know, if Gavin Newsom told you to do your laundry on Tuesdays only. Do you do it? Most people would do it. Yeah, right. And he said the reason was is because global warming and so only on Tuesdays. Yeah. I mean, if he said that, there would be there would be scores of people lined up thinking like, all right, well, there must have been some committee, some task force, some focus group <laughs> that got together to arrive at that conclusion. And uh, and the truth is, as you know, and I know, they're really just kind of pulling things out of the sky. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, I mean, and it, and it's not just with 
political rule, but I mean, that manifests itself in our, in our world. I mean, most people have terrible health, terrible finances, um, and they in general have a very subpar life. And I think it's because most we've been conditioned in our society to not think for ourselves. And I think personally that it's a, it's a longstanding, uh, social programming that's been designed to, um, ultimately get total control over the population. Isn't it weird when you kind of step back? I was talking to somebody the other day about preventative medicine and two different types of medicine, you know, one where you are trying to address things before they occur. And the other one where, you know, traditional medicine, where something goes wrong and then you try to deal with it then. And when you step back and you look at the way that we live, not just, you know, we talk about macro all the time, right? Which is this incessant and constant need to be spending. And that that is the virtue of the economy, supposedly, as these people tell us. But also, you look at things like you're talking about. You look at things like mental health, like physical health, exercise, diet. Uh, we've just been conditioned to make the worst possible choices when it comes to all of those things. Yeah, we have. I mean, I, I'm more sinister. I think it's I think it's all on purpose. And I think that there's uh, very evil people in the world that um, – want total control over the world. But yeah, I mean, we, you know, my, my rule of thumb started, um, when I was 19 in college, you know, when I started my, everything I was doing and, and I raised my hand in economics class and I asked my teacher why we couldn't audit the federal reserve as a freshman in college. This was 2011, I think maybe, I think 2011. And he told me to shut up and memorize the textbook. And, um, you know, so I dropped out and my MO has always been never believe anything the government tells you and basically never do anything anyone else tells you too. I mean, people don't tell you to start a business, you know, or any of that. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of always been my, uh, my MO. I don't advise it for, <laughs> for everyone. It's worked out pretty good for me. Yeah. Well, you're letting the market decide what your value is. You're not letting a econ professor put a dollar amount on it. You're not letting a degree put a dollar amount on it, right? You went out and you started doing your own thing. And what the hell is your own thing, by the way? Because I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, we didn't talk about on your podcast. You have another podcast channel called I Love Prosperity, and that's the one where me and you were chatting. But uh, yeah. your your main YouTube account is just called Jake Ducey. You got 600,000 subscribers. What the fuck is going on on this channel that you have 600,000 subscribers? What's, what, what is Jake Ducey up to? Um, so... Basically, yeah, it's kind of, you know, especially when I reach out to people when I talk about finance, you Google my name and you're like, what is this a joke? Because it's so it's two different industries. Um, so basically, my story is I was 19 freshman in college. My dad showed me a bunch of stuff about how the financial system worked on Thanksgiving break and many other things, um, including uh, you know, World Trade Center 7 and many other things. And, and so I went back to class and I asked my teacher, as I told you, I decided to um, drop out. And the final straw for me to drop out was I was really angry. I was looking at this very corrupt system, freshman in college, typical, you know, um, college student that's waking up. And I, um, I was, I was miserable. And my brother gave me a book by Eckhart Tolle, um, and I was like, who is this idiot? I'm not going to listen to this. But I was in a really bad mood. So I turned it on and I listened to it. And he asked a question. Um, 
I, I didn't grow up spiritual, religious. It was almost like a foreign language to me. And he said, is there life in your hand? He said, don't ask your mind that question. Go to your hand and ask yourself, is there life in your hand? And I pretended to be sick, so I wasn't at basketball practice. I was in my dorm by myself. And I did that. I brought my attention to my hand. And it was the first time I'd ever escaped an incessant, never-ending thought pattern. And I actually felt like euphoria. Um, and it was really weird. And so it, it started this spiritual awakening for me where I kind of I put this whole thing together. And I personally believe that the ruling elites for thousands and thousands of years have always known this spiritual um, um, higher dimensional perception creates reality or consciousness. And they, they've created this whole, you know, uh, matrix system. And I, that's what I believe. And so it led me on this journey. I dropped out, I did some backpacking through central America, ended in Asia with 14 day silent meditation. And, um, I had this vision to write my book into the wind, which was about dropping out of college. The first sentence of the book starts in economics class, kind of like a spiritual inspirational memoir about backpacking around the world with a lot of um, philosophy and twists uh, about my views on government. And no one would publish that. I was 20 when that came, when I finished writing it. So I self-published it. I sold it out of the trunk of my car. And um, I ended up selling 20,000 copies of that book, which 95% of books don't sell 2,500 in a lifetime. So um, I sold them out of trunk of my car, sold them at farmer's markets, did everything. I rented tables at student centers at college campuses, stopped kids on the way to class and sold them the book. And um, that was what I did. And so Penguin Random House gave me a book deal because I sold 20,000 copies. And then um, that was Purpose Principles. So I kind of went on this road um, where it, it, where I believe that the way we change the world is at the core, all of this control system works um, based off of consciousness, perception, everybody thinking they're idiots, everybody being subservient to the government, people thinking everybody else is way smarter and more capable than them. And that's how this whole control system works. Everybody has these terrible self-images. Everybody thinks they're, they're, they're just not that bright and great. And I think that that's how this whole system works. And so that led me on, you know, personal development and I started studying declassified CIA documents on consciousness. And then um, I went on this journey. I've I, I probably done five, 600 high school college talks. I was the first motivational speaker ever on Vans Warp Tour to 500,000 kids across 52 cities and um, published another book. And that's what I was doing. Then I went on to YouTube. My YouTube blew up and we got, you know, 60 million views and, you know, tens of millions of views to my website. Um, and I have everything from my from my books. I, for a while, I was doing you know all types of uh, uh, like I said speeches, but that was just wearing me out. And um, so I went online, and um, everything just started blowing up. My my videos, my books. Um, I have a bunch of uh, meditations and and subconscious uh, hi hypnosis recordings, and that's what I've been doing. And 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 I've got a you know whole team and 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 business and. You know, uh, we've done, you know, really well for ourselves. But I, I, as I was doing that, I was saving all my money, never spent it because I didn't trust the system. And then ultimately that brought me back around to all this finance, macro, gold, all this type of stuff. And um, then when the lockdowns happened in April, I was like, fuck it, I'm starting a new channel. I'm going to talk about all this shit. And then that's when I started I Love Prosperity. And that's kind of a very long story short.
Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there, so let's hop to it. First and foremost, I think it's cool that you had this kind of aha moment, right? You're talking about, all right, well, the one thing that struck me in what you just said is this idea that everybody assumes that the people that tell them what to do are smarter than them. And I've talked about on this podcast, and I had that I had that aha moment. I remember it very, very clearly. I was like 18 or 19 years old. I had gone home my first or second year from college. I had gone out to lunch with my mother. It was the first year that George W. Bush was elected president. And I remember being in the car with my mother and saying to my mom, this guy doesn't seem that fucking smart. <laughs> you know, I, I just said, what's, what is going on? I mean, this guy just seems like a dumbass. Am I missing something? <laughs> you know, and, and my mom said to me, she's like, no, she's like, you know, you're right. She's like, you're going to find out that <clears throat> everybody that you think is capable is, uh, you know, isn't always capable. And they're not because you assume, Jake, you know, as a kid, if somebody's going to be the president, going to be the smartest person, you know, has to be the smartest person in the world. Right. That the that the free market would kind of make it so that the smartest, most thoughtful, you know, advanced critical thinking person would wind up as the leader of the free world. And instead, you know, you got George W. Bush down at the fucking ranch wrangling Broncos or whatever he was doing in his spare time, you know. And uh, and I just remember having this moment and thinking, holy shit, you know, and then at some point we were having a discussion and I said, you know, I, so like you mean like you think I could fly the space shuttle, like if somebody sat me down and explained it to me, you know. She's like, yeah, you know, you, you got the capacity. You just would need somebody to explain it to you. And then you start thinking, all right, well, like, you look around, Jake. You're like, who the fuck are these people? You know what I mean? Like, you start looking, you start looking at the politicians and you start looking at the CEOs and you start looking at, you know, the people that you're surrounded by that you've been taking your cues from from years. And you're like what is this? You know, these, a lot of these people don't know shit. And so for me, that was part of the awakening. And I think that's what made it so easy for me, especially when I started looking at finance to step back and start to question a lot of the things that were going on. So how do you, how do you encourage people to kind of reach that, that aha moment personally? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty similar to, to, to what happened to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, so I, I believe that, um, that we're all consciousness and that this is really, this reality is really in, just an, an energy field and there's really no such thing as death and everyone's on their own journey. And I think most people's journey are to be very stupid robots this time around. And so, you know, you can never, you know, you can never make somebody else wake up, but I think that for me, um, what really woke me up was seeing how fucked and corrupt the world is. And that's what drove me to not only start a business, but, um, you know, I, for a very, very long time, I was saving 50% of my income, hiring all the right people to keep growing it into a, you know, into a, into a, you know, large enterprise was because um, I'm really concerned about how this plays out. And I think that once you realize that, you know, everything's fucked, pensions are fucked, social security's fucked, currencies are fucked, um, it, all the governments are, are, are bought and sold. 
I think there is a moment where you basically have to, regardless of if you're 70 or, or 15, you kind of have to wake up and, and, and say, look, I, you know, I've got it to get, to get it together. And the truth is you don't really have to be that smart to be successful and get your own and get your own freedom. And so for me, I have to say it was looking at what happened with the governments and, and saying, this is, this is not going to be good. I, I have to put all my energy into my finances and my investments and my businesses, um, to get as far ahead as I can before it, uh, before it gets too late. And I think if people are honest enough with themselves, which is a problem, nobody's honest with themselves. Everybody fucking lies to themselves all the time. And, you know, I, I think if we're honest enough with ourselves, are you where you want to be financially? It's a, it's a yes or no. There's no, like, I'm not sure. Are you where, are you where you should be with your health? Yes or no. And I think when we look at, are, are you doing what you want to do with your life? The fact that the entire system is bought and sold, um, it's it's hanging on by a thread. You're only alive. Life expectancy is what seventy four years. I mean, it's just a simple question: Are you wasting your life or not? And for me, it was just I didn't. I just didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to be a robot anymore. I love that. Are you honest with yourself, man? It takes me back to <clears throat> years ago, because. Uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, I was not in a great state of mind and I wasn't doing as well as I would have liked to have been doing. And, you know, I certainly wasn't as happy as I am now. And so I would go and I would watch the same type of videos that you put up on YouTube, right? Because you start kind of clawing for answers, especially because in my case, you know, I felt like I understood it to some degree how the system was rigged, but I still couldn't get ahead of it. And, and that... You know, you're striving for this personal freedom that you talk about, but I don't know. I don't know the steps to get there. I don't know. You know, you 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 really have to learn. You actually you have to practice and you have to learn how to do these things mentally, like you're talking about. And when you say, "Are you honest with yourself?" It just took me right back to I watched a Tony Robbins video, and you can say what you want about Tony Robbins, but I find some of his videos to be very helpful when you're in a certain uh, mindset. A video of his where he just said, divorce yourself from the lies that you're telling yourself and marry the truth. And, and I'll just, I'll remember that line for as long as I live. It's not like I did it instantly there. And I always did it since then because I haven't. But that's just one of those things that you land on. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you're saying something exactly similar, right? Level with yourself. Come to terms with your financial picture. Put it down in a fucking spreadsheet and look at the look at the ruin your life's become. You know because it, unless you look at it, unless you unless you sit down and you fucking make peace with it, and unless you understand it and you put those cards on the table, how 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 are you going to rebuild? Right? Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's that's firmly what I believe, and 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 the reality is that's a problem, right? When we aren't honest with ourselves and we develop all these really weird, unconscious rationalization belief systems, we go, money's not that important. Oh, I'm not that overweight. Right. Oh, it's not. <laughs> and, and they become our modus operandi that we enslave ourselves with. And it's important to understand that you did not get enslaved by a broken financial system. You enslaved yourself. You didn't get right. enslaved by big pharma telling you bullshit commercials, you did it. And I think that, um, 
you know, I, being honest with ourselves is, is number one. And I think number two is actually having goals. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how few people actually have clearly defined goals. Um, I, I hardly meet anyone that does. And, you know, it, it's weird how it's been chalked up to being like some type of new age thing. And, and the reality is, you know, what is it? Like 80% of people live paycheck to paycheck. The average American can't come up with 400 bucks. I mean, you look around, most people are fucking unhealthy. They aren't living their dream life. And, you know, it, it, and I think it comes from none of us have a real, a, a real direction. And I firmly right. believe that the brain is a, is the most powerful supercomputer in the world. And there's a weird thing when you give it clear targets and um, great things begin to happen. When you say, I want to make this much money. I want to have this much in savings. I want to quit this job and do this thing. And, and people just never do that. And I think it's powerful. I was just interviewing um, CEO of Vizla Resources, which is a silver and gold stock that's sponsoring my channel. And um, really, you know, cool guy, sm uh, good company. They're doing well. And um, he's only 33 years old. He, he sold his first company for $15 million when he was 28. And I said, um, like, what the hell? How'd you do that? And he said, I read the book Think and Grow Rich, and I decided I was going to be a multimillionaire before I turned 30, and I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And, you know, there's power in that. Nobody ever does it. And so I think that's a, a great next step that, you know, all of us can take is, like, what did, what, how much do I actually want to save? How much do I make? Like, and, and just outside of money, like, <laughs> do I actually want to do what I'm doing? And I think it's just – it's, it's almost become, you know, because of the Tony Robbins and the very big, very, very big personal development. And many of them are, you know, uh, not, I, I wouldn't put Tony, you know, in this category, but there's a lot of them have given the industry a bad rap and it's almost become new age to have goals. And, and it's like people stay away from it or maybe it's an unconscious protective mechanism because they're afraid to fail. But I think that those are ways that we can start to take our own power back. Yeah, and you don't know how many Instagram posts I see on the daily of people that go out and they buy fresh, shiny new, you know, day planners and organizers and they write their goals down and then they take a photo of it and they post it to Instagram. They're like, getting my life organized, you know. And then two weeks later, you know, the next Instagram picture of them is at three in the morning puking into a sewer on the side of Second Street in Old City, Philadelphia. And you're just like, oh, man, all right, you know. Yeah, it right. does, it then does. that goes into our beliefs, you know, our unconscious. We've got all these unconscious belief systems and this whole self-image and this, you know, we're basically a fucking robot. I mean, psychologists tell us now 95% of every thought and action you take is subconscious and sub means below. <clears throat> so we literally are below conscious fucking species that runs entirely on programs, a lot of them that have come from childhood, right? And then that becomes the issue. And that's what, you know, has always really fascinated me is, is, is the subconscious. Why do I do that? Why, when I get my money, do I go fucking spend it every time? Why do I think, why do I get uncomfortable every time that I do, you know? And, and I think that that's the next step, you know, there is, is discovering our modus operandi, so to speak, on a subconscious level. And, you know, it's an, I believe it's a very important component, um, to break ourselves free from the matrix. Well, I think that's why writing things down, like you were just talking about is such a interesting tool and it's no, it's, 
it's not a coincidence. And by the way, me and you have never talked about any of this shit before. So mm-hmm. everything we're talking about now, we're coming by it honestly in the midst of conversation. But, you know, I love watching Jordan Peterson videos. And there's a lot of other people that uh, like Jordan Peterson a lot because he offers people direction. He offers people, uh, you know, feedback that may be uh, less than comfortable but that a lot of people need to hear. And one of the things he always harps on is he always talks about this one university study where they found that, you know, 80% of men that wrote down their goals were more likely to achieve them than, than guys who didn't write down their goals. And so writing down goals, and, you know, I do it annually. I, ha- I have a goal for every month this year that I've written down. So, you know, I cross them off kind of as I go along. Some of them are financial. Some of them are spiritual. Some of them are, you know, involved jujitsu, whatever. But I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any coincidence that you're here talking about it. You know that I do it. That those are the types of things that I thrive on, um, and that that's kind of why. And by the way, the you know the reason that Jordan Peterson has gotten such uh, fame and such adoration and such praise, I think, is because he helps people break out of those boundaries that you're talking about. He helps people kind of. You know, he's a clinical psychologist, so he understands how to help kind of deliver people out of these subconscious tics that they're doing. I mean, people get up every day, Jake, and they go spend fucking $50 at a TJ Maxx, and they don't know why. <laughs> you know, they, they buy socks, and they don't need socks, and they don't even know why they're there. They don't know why they got up. They don't, you know, they don't have the money. They're just people are being conditioned, and I think that this, you know— I think a lot of the problem comes from people being comfortable. People don't ask themselves the things that you're talking about. People aren't honest with themselves, Jake, because they don't want to feel discomfort, right? But as soon as you can start to shake people a little bit out of that discomfort, you get that first week after you go to the gym, you know, five days a week, all of a sudden you get these like, you get this positive feedback and you get this kind of feeling of momentum and outside the system momentum. I'm not eating the fucking egg McMuffin every day. I'm not spending $30 a day at fucking Macy's for no reason. You, you break out of it. And then all of a sudden you get this crazy type of positive reinforcement that starts to feed on itself. And the key is just getting that, getting that flywheel spooled up, right. And getting that momentum going. Yeah. I mean, that's uh that's what I believe. I mean, one of the other reasons I also really like, Jordan Peterson is he's you know he's he's honest and it's a it's something that most of us are missing from our own lives and I think that you know if we see it him and we gravitate it I mean change is a bitch because um your 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 brain wires based off of the way that you habitually feel your dominant emotions your dominant behaviors and thought patterns it actually wires together every time you have um, a, 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 an emotional experience, whether it's habits from when you were younger thoughts, it all wires into your brain. It's called Hebb's law in neuroscience. And it says that nerve cells that fire together wire together. And so we build these like very outdated, uh, essentially brains that get conditioned to, uh, keep us in the same box. And, you, you have to build new, you know, you said you start to feel different. You get this rush of energy, right? That's when we're starting to activate new, new brain cells, new patterns, new electromagnetic patterns. And like, that's when change happens. But of course, you know, it's, it becomes 
uncomfortable and we believe every thought we think. So you have an old thought pattern and you think it's you and it says, you know, don't do that today. Oh, let's just go back to the old way. And, you know, th- then we, you know, we, we become 75 years old and, you know, our life is just full of uh, <laughs> wondering what it would have been like if we weren't such idiots. Yeah. And that is, it's that, it's that inflection point. It's the inflection point of, I listen, I can't tell you how many times I have been in my car about to drive to jujitsu, sitting in the, sitting outside of my house, getting ready to go to my workout for the night with, you know, dressed with all my gear, with my mouth guard, with all my shit packed, ready to go, sitting there debating, do I want to go or not? Oh, I, I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel a certain way. You know, uh, maybe my stomach hurts a little bit, uh, you know, what? You know, and the fucking crazy thing is I love jujitsu. I love it. I get there. I'm there for three minutes and I'm like, this is fucking the meaning of life for me. You know, like I love being here. I love everything about it. But I every day, man, and especially in the winter when it's dark out, you still you do battle. And it's these little inflection points, man. Every one of them, whether it's motivating yourself to get out of bed to go to the gym or whether it's turning down the fucking french fry or whatever it is or whether it's saying i'm gonna i'm gonna save this 30 dollars instead of spending hey listen i'm a quarter of a million dollars in debt i got nothing to my name zero dollars i could file for bankruptcy tomorrow or i could put this first 30 dollars away and then just and just keep carrying on and see like you're saying maybe activate some different brain cells Maybe see if I can kind of break myself out of this trend. And it's these little inflection points, man. One after the other after the other. And every decision that you fucking make can take you in the right direction or the wrong direction. And when you start to string a couple of those decisions together in the right way, what you're talking about, man, you get this. You really get a a rush. You get a different, you get positive reinforcement, but you really get a rush. And one of my favorite phrases is, Get comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't know where I heard that. Maybe it was like Tim Ferriss or some shit. Who knows? But uh, it was when I first discovered taking cold showers. Like, why do people take cold showers? It seems like such a heinous idea, right? And does a couple of things, right? One is if you let freezing cold water hit the top of your back under your neck, it fucking activates your vagus nerve, right? Which everybody knows that feeling when you jump into the freezing cold pool or the freezing cold ocean. Bang! Fucking everything turns on. All your, <laughs> You know what I mean? All your nerves, all your senses. It's like, all right, dude, you're fucking alive now. So you become kind of hyper aware in that moment. And the second thing is then to stay under that cold water. And what happens then? Well, you know, you're enduring an unpleasant situation, an uncomfortable situation. Freezing fucking cold water. Jake, I've done this in Montreal in the middle of the fucking winter, okay? <laughs> you wonder how the water coming out of, the, out, of the, out of the tap is not frozen to begin with. And you stand there and you endure it. Because in your brain, you tell yourself, all right, this sucks. And it feels awful. But it's not killing me. I've been here before. You know, I can breathe my way through it. And it's going to be over soon. And so that translates for me great into jujitsu jujitsu is all about 
you get in these terrible positions where somebody's, you know, maybe they're not going to choke you unconscious, but your neck is <laughs> fucked up in a different way. Or you got a guy that's 350 and he's sitting on your face and you can't fucking move. And it's like, all right, do you just tap? Do you just give up? Do you just tap your way out of it? Well, there's really no need to tap because I'm not dead yet and I'm not going to die and I can still breathe. So maybe just hold on for another five seconds, another 10 seconds, whatever. And it's that mindset from, you know, these things that I think is just so, so valuable, man, because you start to push your boundaries of what what you can accept. And so much, Jake, of what you said about comfort and about, you know, having this subconscious and being robots it all comes back to we just want to be comfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I agree. I like your uh, I like your passion. You're you're excited about it. I, I mean, I firmly believe this is, you know, it's important to know what's going on, you know, and politically and economically and everything. But the truth is, um, even if there's a different political or economic system, your life would still suck if you didn't change <laughs> yourself, you know, right. and. Uh, so I think this is the this is this is why I got into personal development. I mean, I, I firmly believe this is the conversation. For, you know, we have to change as people. The, the the large government and all this shit. It's a reflective of us being, you know, these these little creatures, and and, and we have to grow up and and change. And like you said, I mean, the only way to do that is to. Um, find things that make us uncomfortable. I mean, making my, making my finance channel this last year, you know, made me uncomfortable. I've been in a different industry. You Google my name, it's something different. Um, you know, and it's been really rewarding. It's taken off. It's done really well. It's turned into a a good income source and it was something uncomfortable, you know, dropping out of college. And I think, you know, we all have those things and we all have that as Joseph Campbell says that hero's journey. Um, and, the quickest way to change our life is to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and just actually go do it. <laughs> when you said earlier about, you know, the elites ruling everything and we're kind of in the matrix. Uh, I want to know what that means. I want you to tell my listeners what you think about that. Uh, well, I mean, you, I could go, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got a pretty unique worldview. I mean, look, you know, we could talk about macroeconomics and all that shit and well, we'll go there next that, but let's, hear also, about, let's hear about your worldview first yeah no i was saying but at the same time i also you know we talk about that and you know most of my subscribers and i love prosperity you know don't know that much about me i so i i look at reality as um everything that you think is physical isn't physical uh, you know, an atom is 99.999% empty space, which is weird to think about in and of itself. Well, what the <clears> fuck <throat> is it if it's all empty space? And I believe it's all energy and I believe it's all consciousness. And, you know, there's an overwhelming amount of, of, of studies that we've seen the effect of consciousness and perception on reality. And I believe that ruling elites have known this for, I don't think hundreds of years. I think thousands of years. I think, um, going all the way back to, to, to ancient Egypt. And I think it's always been this kind of known mind power type of thing. But I think where it's really got out of control is as the modern banking system was created and as some of these psychopaths wanted to basically control the world. And where I think it really took a turn was the son or the, um, rather the, um, the nephew 
of Sigmund Freud, uh, Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays took his uncle's discovery, Sigmund Freud's discoveries on the subconscious and 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 are and uh, basically uh, all these ways to essentially program people into mindless consumers and that's basically created the control system we have at that that was where modern pr was created and i think it's been all designed in order to uh control the entire world and i think that you know you look at uh, advertisers they're not running random stuff the news isn't running random stuff they've spent billions of dollars to find out how human psychology works and they know how it works. They know that repetition programs people. They know that fear programs people. And I think we've created this whole society beginning at Edward Bernays um, that basically has programmed people into this matrix system where most people get all their information from the energy outside of themselves. Um, and that's how this whole control system perpetuates itself and um and i and i think that um the way to free myself from it is to recognize first of all that um you know i'm i'm not just this little meat suit i believe that um i'm much more than a meat suit and to uh, um be able to look at my own unconscious belief systems about reality and uh, upgrade them where need be and i think that um fundamentally you've got a society where everybody thinks they're just their little fucking body and they think they're just their little past and they define what they're capable of off how much they weigh and they define what they're capable of by the physical evidence that they see in their environment and all this shit and it perpetuates this world where we become reactors to life instead of uh, uh, uh creators to life and that's how most people live and you know in a nutshell that's basically what i believe yeah, and even just regardless of the, you know, the details of the tenets of what it is that you, what is that cracking sound? Are you doing something in the background? Oh, I, I was moving. All right. Um, regardless of the, uh, you know, individual like nuances of what you're saying, just the idea, just being able to step out of the ideology that you're born into, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Buddhism, whether it's, Christianity, whether you're a fascist anarchist, I mean, just being able to kind of step back out of all of those systems in and of itself is a, I think, a remarkable achievement that most people never really get to. I mean, I want to know, how does that thinking, how does your outlook on life, your perception of the world, how does that factor into your outlook on macro? Um, cause we agree on a lot of the same stuff when it comes to finance. Um, and so, but we arrive there, I think in two different ways. And I want to kind of hear, um, I want to hear kind of what you think about macro and, and how you arrive there and you know, how you position yourself as a result. Yeah. So like what got me into quantum physics and consciousness and spirituality actually started from understanding that our financial system was not only flawed, but I mean, it's the greatest Ponzi scheme ever. And, um, that was when I was a freshman. Right. And so I woke up, you know, and, 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 and it, all these other things, you know, we've probably talked about a lot of different things and mm -hmm. then maybe a, you know, normal, uh, guests and conversations because we've rarely, we've hardly even uttered anything about, about, um, the, the financial system so far. 
but all that stuff, all this other crazy stuff um, and, and, and woo wooey things and all these things that that started because I looked at the system and I looked at everything from um, uh, World Trade Center 7 to looking how fiat currencies work. All these things is what woke me up. And then I said, everything else has to be a lie too. Everything has to be. And that's what led me down to this this rabbit hole, as I said, the personal development and believing that, you know, our, our, our taking control of our minds and our lives and our energies is the key to breaking out of this system. Um, but that was how it all started. That's how I got um, interested in all this personal development type of stuff was from macroeconomics and, 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 and my dad got me you know, really into gold and silver. He took me to buy my first monster box of silver when I was, after I saved my first um, money from my book, I was probably like 21 or something, 22 or something like that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of um, what got me interested in it. I mean, it's obvious that we're, you know, we're headed towards, or I, at least I believe it's obvious that we're headed towards, um, essentially more of a, essentially more of a communist system. I mean, to the degree to which that manifests itself, we'll see, but, um, you know, as your many guests can, and yourself can, uh, illustrate a lot more eloquently than I can. I mean, we have a fiat system that can't go on forever. You can't grow debt infinitely. I mean, now you've got Democrats and Republicans in the house and Senate, you know, they want to bring 11 million fucking immigrants in on day one. You know, you, you've got 50% of small businesses closed forever. Um, you know, you've got almost fucking everybody's either hanging on by a thread or they're bankrupt. I mean, it's, uh, or they're on the verge of bankruptcy and, and you've got this system that is on the verge of a collapse. And, and often when you're in chaos, historically speaking, it can go one of two ways. The chaos can birth something greater or it can birth, um, you know, a, a, a control system, you know, you got to remember that, um, Nazism means national socialism. And, you know, when people were in chaos, Hitler came in and was basically running a liberal movement, you know, and that's happened a lot of times through history where we've been on the verge of, or humanity has been, or societies have been on the verge of, of, of collapses. And a lot of times, um, very terrible people have taken power and control and, that's where I believe that we are right now. And I believe that, um, I, I think it's going to get a lot worse. Um, personally, I'm not very optimistic on it. I mean, you, you know, not to mention the, 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 um, you know, the, the lockdowns, the lack of freedoms, the political and social divide. I mean, all, all these types of things. And that's kind of where I personally, uh, kind of think we're at that answers your question. And when you think about macro too, you have all of these, <clears throat> you have all these different people, right? You have people that believe that the Keynesian umbrella that we run the global economy under is the end all be all. They think that is finance. You know, they just, they've, they don't know about the Austrian school. They don't understand it. They don't understand monetary theory. They don't understand. And that's fine. There, there's, you know, and I would put probably, you know, 70% of the populace under that umbrella. The people that think that, you know, if, if we're getting stimulus checks, they must be coming from the right place. We must have the money to do it. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. The, the dollar's always going to be fine, whatever. And, and they don't even think about the possibility of, so they kind of exist in that little bubble. Then you have the people that do kind of understand 
that were operating under a Keynesian umbrella, some of whom choose to speak out about it like you do, like I do, like guys like George Gammon and Peter Schiff and all these guys. And then there are this other group of people who I really think are the worst. I mean, I think the central bankers are nefarious, but I think that the people that work on Wall Street, the economists, the CEOs, the people that understand the system, understand its potential flaws, yet choose to just be the beneficiary of that system and not acknowledge its eventual coming faults, which are, you know, basically a mathematical uh, guarantee at some point, that choose not to speak out about it, that choose not to try to wake up the other people that don't know about it, about it. I think those people are the worst. I have no respect for that at all. And that's why in the past, when certain people that are in the world of finance have come out and have made, you know, cases for people that are permanently bears uh, as some type of, you know, uh, like, like we're some kind of off the wall conspiracy theorist idiots. And that, you know, the problem is the Bitcoin guys do this too. Like, hey, you just don't understand our side of the case. It's like, I do understand, but I would be remiss if I didn't say X, Y, and Z also. If you know how this system could potentially be flawed in a major way, and you're not out there at least, and Jake, brother, listen, man, the Keynesian fucking Ponzi scheme that you're talking about, using the same words that I use, I mean, we've never had this discussion before. I say the same exact thing. It could be in our lifetime, it could be 50 years from now, 100 years from now, it could be 1,000 years from now. We don't know when the thing is going to go ass up, but I think we are doing humanity. We're doing our fellow citizens, our fellow Americans, our fellow human beings a disservice by not trying to expound upon where these massive potential faults could lie. And, you know, look... For me, people say, oh, you're always short the market. Hey, you know, I'm 60% long equities right now. I own a lot of gold and silver too, but I'm not, you know? So they say, oh, well, how come you're uh, out there saying all this bearish stuff and you're long equities? Isn't that a conflict of interest? Isn't that this, that, whatever? No, you got to understand what's going on. You have to kind of arrive at these conclusions by understanding the big picture, and I just, I have no respect. Whitney Webb said on my last podcast a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, rather, that she's got no respect for people that become snitches for the state. And, <laughs> and similarly, I have no respect for people that understand how this fucking Keynesian system could wind up coming to a crashing halt. And not only that, but understand the inequality that it creates now and don't have the fucking balls to say it, and are sometimes arrogant enough to go out and criticize those who do talk about it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, the only way for a Ponzi scheme to work is, you know, a bunch of other people know it's a Ponzi scheme, but they don't do any, they don't do anything or say anything about it. Um, and you know, I think some of it is ignorance. You know, for us to believe that a you know, we just think that it can go on forever. I mean, outside of just the statistic, outside of the mathematical 
um, impossibilities of this system existing uh, as it presently is for much longer. Um, you know, on top of that, there's no historical precedent for it either. I mean, there's ne- the, it, this just can't go on forever. It's never happened in history. And so um, I agree with you. And I, you know, there's a reason I started this channel in April too, is I'm just looking, I'm like, dude, like what is wrong with us? And I'm like, I, you know, and, and I also feel like, you know, I mean, I got a, you know, a pretty large audience, you know, over the years and we built a pretty big business with my main Jake Ducey brand. Um, but a lot of them don't know me a lot, a lot of parts of me that well. And that's, you know, my, uh, what I believe about the world and, and, the, and the government and the economic system. And I felt like, you know, I agree with you. I felt like maybe I was doing a little bit of disservice because part of who I was and what I believed, um, I was kind of not saying anything about it. And I kind of made that channel to, you know, help wake people up and, you know, and it's, and it's done well because of that. But I think, um, I think I agree with you. And I think that the only way that this perpetuates itself is obviously, you know, you had Janet Yellen say debt levels were unsustainable at uh, national debt levels at 20 trillion. You had Al- Alan Greenspan's, he's written a fucking whole like article, like a big article on um, economic freedom and gold. I mean, it's like they all know it. Everybody knows it. They all know. Um, but they they either are beneficiaries of it or they think it's such a fast-moving train that getting in the way of it is just going to crush them. and Or they don't have a better answer. And they think we're so far into it that they're just hoping it'll last at till um, they'll die before it collapses. And I think that, you know, that's, that's obviously um, – a central problem. So I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you and it's disheartening. I mean, to, I mean, the fact that Alan Greenspan has written a fucking whole thing on gold and gold being money and savings and like the fact that that's going on. I mean, you know, there's no way that Jerome Powell doesn't have, there's no way in hell Jerome Powell does not have a fuckload of gold. I mean, there's no way. And, you know, they, they don't tell anybody. And so I agree with you, but that's how fraud works. That's how, um, that's how, uh, you know, quasi communism works. I mean, it's, it's a control system at the elite level and people know it's fucked, but they go along with it. Yeah. And in May, 2018, when I did my short, the whole fucking thing presentation, which was basically trying to lay out my case for gold, I mean, the thing I kept coming back to and harping on was central banks hold it in reserve. So for you're saying Jay Powell's got to own a lot of gold. Well, fuck Jay Powell. The central banks hold gold in reserve. Right. So when if the buck stops with the central banks, why do they hold gold in reserve? That's the only question anybody should be asking. Why? Absolutely. What does that tell you, Jake? Yeah, I mean, it obviously tells you one they think it's money but i think it tells you too that they anticipate this thing collapsing eventually um i I personally think they'll push the can down the road till it it gets too late um but that's the same thing ray dalio said i don't know if you saw he was talking about the bitcoin versus gold debate and he said look you know maybe there's a you know a place for for bitcoin but outside of that let me tell you why i own gold the reason i own gold is quite simply because i like to own the things that the central banks deem as money and savings and are accumulating themselves that was his answer 
Yeah, and that tells you everything that you need to know. E- everything right there. Jake, you are a huge uh, silver bull, I can tell by reading your feed, man. So let's talk a little bit about why you are so bullish on silver. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in I, my so at first, I have, um, you know, a, an, a, an allocation of my net worth to physical bullion, uh, personally. Um, and that's probably... 70 30 silver to gold in favor of silver maybe it's 65 35 i've really done the math recently but um you know i've got a i've got a lot of allocation to physical bullion but then i also i have a you know i have a mining stock portfolio that you know i did quite well um last year 118 percent return in in 2020 and that's um primarily silver in in uranium and the reason that between my physical allocation and my my mining stocks allocation, why they both favor silver over gold, um, is a couple reasons. You know, um, number one is just mathematically silver still fi- about fifty percent from its all time highs, whereas gold's basically there. Um, so there's more room to run. Historically, silver always performs outperforms gold in um, in bull markets. Um, you know, the the um, the industrial need of silver is, um, you know, it's astounding. I mean, uh, these nut jobs want to move the United States from 10% renewal, uh, solar to 50% solar in, in, in like three or four years, like in fucking no time. And I mean, uh, for, first of all, that's never going to true. I mean, it obviously they're, you know, they're the last people in the world. Speaking of goals, they're the last people in the world. I'm sure that will ever achieve their goals, but you know, the, the need for silver, when you do the math on all that, there's about six tenths an ounce of silver in one standard solar panel. You do the math on all that, and it's like over 300 million ounces of silver um, that are needed for that fulfillment. The World Bank's released recent um, data that I put in a video recently. Um, the number one commodity that they estimated um, that uh, for, increased, for increased supply necessary was silver out of like 10 or 15 and they said a 350% increase in um in supply was necessary um silver went down again 6.6% in um annual mine supply so we're at 2020 was the lowest amount mined since 2011 or 10 yeah, yeah. um so there's a lot i mean there's only 760 million uh, mined ounces in all of 2020, I mean, when they crash the price, they sell two billion dollar, two billion ounces in five minutes. I mean, it's the it's the most giant Ponzi scheme ever, and I believe it has you know tremendous upside outside of the monetary component. Um, it, it's the reality is it's it's needed in everything. The supply shut down on it. You know, I've I've um, I just think there is a tremendous upside in both the bullion. As a as a store of savings, and in the um, mining in silver mining stocks, as an accelerant, um, you know, to multiply um, your fiat. Um, and there's not that many silver. There's not that many silver stocks. I mean, there's not that many good ones. There's not that. It's a very small market cap, and um, way smaller than than gold. And I think it's a it's a compelling thesis investment thesis from you know a a monetary perspective but it's also a compelling thesis from a supply and demand perspective and historically silver always outperforms gold i mean i i'm definitely in the camp where i think 
I think there's no way, I don't know whether it's two years or whether it's 15 years, but yeah, I think there's no way that, that silver is not triple digits. I mean, if there's a point where there, this, this spot price from Comex ever does go down, I mean, I, I think that due to the industrial need and how little there is available, I mean, I think it could go astronomical. And, you know, even if it doesn't and it just goes to 50 I mean, it's just an undervalued asset. I mean, I'm looking for things. I personally, I I find things attractive that are 50% from their all-time highs. And and a lot of these silver mining stocks are fucking 30x from their all-time highs. And so I just find it an an attractive thesis. I mean, of course, you know, I come to all those conclusions first um, from my views on gold, um, but I just. It, from a mining stock perspective, I find silver has a lot more room to run than gold. And then, um, you know, from a uh, from a bullion perspective, you know, I have a, a, a great allocation to gold, but I have more silver because I just think I just think it's such a bargain. I mean, I started buying silver at 17 bucks an ounce. So. And the cool thing about miners is and why I like to own gold miners and silver miners is because you're really you're getting leverage on you know, because most costs stay fixed for miners, right? So if you're mining something out of the ground and it costs you, you know, whatever, say it costs you a dollar an ounce to mine and what you're pulling out of the ground is priced at $2 an ounce. And then all of a sudden the spot price of the commodity moves to $3 an ounce. Well, now you're getting this insane leverage because your cost remains at a dollar an ounce and it doesn't cost you anymore. It's the same materials, the same mines, the same staff, the same, you know, unless you want to increase or decrease the size of your operation. So you get all this crazy leverage and, and the fact that silver kind of moves in, uh, silver moves multiples of gold to the upside and to the downside. Um, you tack that on top of the idea of, uh, getting that kind of leverage with miners. That's, I, I love having that exposure to miners as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I'm into it. So I want to go back and talk about World Trade Center Seven because I heard you mention it twice, and that's something that me and you have never talked about. <clears throat> um, I'm guessing we've kind of arrived somewhere near the same conclusion, at least that there's something conversation worthy uh, about World Trade Center Seven. And what I'll say is, you know, I went back and watched Mick West's debunking of the. Uh, Halsey report from uh, the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And I think he makes some good points. I like McWest. I, I, I respect him. He's actually going to come back on the podcast next month. We got a special episode lined up. But uh, I went back and watched his report. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. There, There is a lot of structural engineering things that I just don't get. I'm not a physicist. I'm not an engineer. Um, you're not a physicist. You're not an engineer. Talk to me about why you keep mentioning World Trade Center 7. What? Tell me about it. Um, well, first of all, you know, let's let's start here. So I made a um, I made a Twitter question, um, like a poll. Yeah, um, must have been a couple weeks ago. And I asked everybody. I said, um, I said, how many buildings went down on 9-11? How many World Trade Center buildings? Two or three? And like 85% of people said two. Right, yep. So outside of um, 
all possibility. I mean, there is a good documentary that I, that came out pretty recently called seven, um, that doesn't talk at all about, you know, the, the world, the other, I think it was building two and three were the other ones, but it doesn't talk at all about that. It just talks about seven, just from the perspective of the fact that nobody fucking knows that there was, I mean, we made this huge deal about nine 11. Right. And first of all, why does nobody know there was a third building? Right. Um, that's my dad. When, when my dad goes on dates, by the time he's on his second date, he asked the women that he says, uh, how many buildings went down on world trades on nine 11? And it's fascinating. I mean, why do we not even know that? And it's because the story is so weird. I mean, it's, it's pretty weird and you know, we'll never know the truth about it. Um, but there's a lot of, um, you know, there's thousands of, of, um, of architects and engineers, 9-11, architects for 9-11 Truth, engineers for 9-11 Truth. There's a lot of people that have presented interesting claims. Um, I don't know what the result of it, but when then you go, well, what the hell? And then you look at the things that were in the building um, and, and, and what World Trade Center 7 was, you just watch the video of it collapse. And then you look at, well, what was the result of all this? I mean, all this eventually led to us, you know, getting into Afghanistan and, and Iraq and the fucking oil and the opium. And I had a guy in one of my seminars one time um, come up to me at lunch and he was um, he went to Iraq and he claimed that because I asked him, I was like, oh, yeah, what was that like? You know, what do you think about all that? And he claimed that. um he was in a group that went into like whatever Saddam's kingdom or some shit. And they, and they went and got the fucking gold when they were, when they were coming in there. And there's so many, you know, weird nefarious things with the, with the general story of nine 11 that just don't check out. And I, you know, my, the first, the first time I ever watched it free fall world trade center free fall was from my dad. And my dad, I remember 9-11. I was pretty young. I, I was only in like second or third grade. My dad woke me up at 6 a.m. and was like, World Trade Center buildings crash. And I was like, what the fuck is that? I don't even know what it is. You know, and I was like, oh, so my dad was all freaked out. And my dad told me that he re- the first day they reported on World Trade Center 7, the first day. But then they never did ever again. It's it's erased from history. Yeah, I mean right. it's so weird. I mean, what it, whether you want to debate how exactly it went down, who cares? Why is it erased? Why does nobody know what happened? Why is it never in the news coverage? It's because the story is so fucking weird that if everybody knew it, there there would at least be uh, and what a, a, and an investigation. And what, and, what, what know, were they my, saying on day one? Right? What were they saying? The first responders saying, "Oh, there's explosions in there." Dan Rather saying it looks like a controlled demolition. The BBC saying the buildings come down when it hasn't. You know that those first day reports, people are just calling it like they see it. You know they're yeah. not they're not worried about a narrative at that point. And, and so why is everybody arriving at this kind of same? strange conclusion you know when you take those people that think that only two buildings fell jake and you show them the building seven falling 
they say, oh, well, you know, it's a controlled demolition, obviously. I mean, it looks just like it. And then you say, <laughs> yeah, but what about what about the fact that no steel-framed skyscraper, you know, had ever come down from fire before in history? None. And this is the first one. You know, and then they say, well, well, yeah, you know, definitely something weird about that. And that's it. It's just those two things, you know. And again, I'm not a physicist. I'm not an engineer. Maybe there is some great, perfect scientific reason for the way that that building came down. And I've seen other angles. Um, people try to present the, the uh, other angles of it through modeling and other things. And I can see that it, I don't think it came down exactly as it looked it came down on the other side. But I haven't seen anything near enough to convince me to dial down my skepticism at all. Because, <laughs> because like, no. like you said, man, nobody knows about it. Right, which is yeah, kind of weird, right? But the fact that all day that day, I just remember people saying on the news, "Looks like it's gonna come down. That building's gonna be coming down soon. It's gonna be coming down." It's like, all right, like what? You know, what what did they do? Did they hear creaking and crumbling and they notice, you know, whatever? And, and even if it did come down from fire, does it come down like that? Does 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 part of the building not fall and part of it stay up? It's so fucking weird, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, I, I try to, um, at this stage in my life, never go too far into trying to figure out what I think is the truth on things that don't really have to do with my own personal freedom. Right. So I, you know, I can't tell you 9 million <laughs> things about it, but come on, man. I mean, the fact that no nobody knows about it, the fact that it's never talked about it, the fact that the first day, like everyone said it got fucking blown up. I mean, there's so many people on that first day. My dad said he watched it live um, on the news that morning. And he said he sat there with my mom and he said he just kept saying, how the fuck does a building go down like that? He said he watched it and that was his initial response. And then he kind of believed the, the you know, their, their 9-11 commission report, which... You know, I mean, the fucking Bush, you know, you're talking about Bush being a fucking idiot. I mean, you look at his family history. I mean, Prescott Bush with the CIA. I mean, they, they are the dirtiest group of individuals. I mean, it, it, you know, you got to fucking hose them down with some acid before you let them <laughs> into your house. And they were the ones that released the 9-11 commission report. And then it led to this bullshit wars that were totally fucking made up. I mean, it's just the whole thing doesn't check. And, you know, that was one of the things when I was a freshman in college, I said, there, this, there's no way I believe this, this official story. I don't know exactly what happened or why with everything, but that was one of the things where I also ultimately was like, this whole system is a lie, you know? And then my dad believed the official story and then, you know, went on with his life as a San Diegan, you know, liberal kind of guy at the time, Democrat at the time. And, you know, it wasn't until 10 years later, eight years later or something, he came across a YouTube video that he randomly clicked on World Trade Center 7 and he watched it free fall again. And he was like, it brought him back to when he sat in front of the TV and was like, there's no way this is fucking coming down like this. And so I just think, you know, it can lead to a never ending rabbit hole. And that's one of the problems that I think happens to a lot of people that are introspective and have critical thought. They get down this rabbit hole of, um, 
you know, conspiracy facts in a lot of instance, but a lot of it becomes useless information that at the end of the day, what we need to do is save more money, make more money, build new sources of income, get healthier, get happier, have our own food storage, have money outside of the banking. I mean, this is what we need to be doing. And a lot of times, you know, we get sucked into, you know, the dopamine porn of fucked up shit that's happening. Um, and I think it becomes, um, it, I think it becomes, um, entertainment that ultimately doesn't help us liberate ourselves. I mean, in some ways it can, because it can make us start to trust our own thought and stop trusting the system. But, um, you know, that's kind of what I believe and what it led me to. And, and ultimately why it pushed me into my books and businesses and everything was like, you know, wow, this, I don't know all the details. I'm not going to worry about all the details of, of not just nine 11, but just the fucking, the fucked up political and financial, um, corruption and, and really how bad it is if you really want to look into it and you know that's uh that's kind of what i think it's strange too because for years i felt like i struggled with having an understanding of all of this crazy shit that goes on i mean we talked earlier about okay well you start to find out you, that not everybody in the world is as smart as you think they are and then all of a sudden you run into this, you know, million page long laundry list of things that are fucked up with the world. Uh, and no matter what your worldview is, you've got a list like this, you know, injustices and, uh, you know, people being done wrong and things that are not done for the benefit of humanity and whatever. But you, you wind up with this list of uh, atrocities, whether they're government atrocities, whether they're, you know, human beings uh, committing atrocities, whatever. And the key to getting some type of enlightenment to the degree that we talked about earlier. Personal freedom, personal enlightenment. Unfortunately, I had to learn the hard way. It's very difficult to unlock unless you do have the wherewithal to do what you're talking about, which is step away from it, not obsess over it, you know, in for lack of a better words, become one with the universe. I mean, I don't want to sound like some fucking new age hipster, <clears throat> but you know, these things like meditation, like breathing deep, like, you know, manifestation. I mean, 10 years ago, I would have said, this guy is a fucking space cadet. If I had seen your shit on that, I'd be like, you know, I'm not talking to this guy. He's fucking crazy, you know, but like, Hey, it's only through having some personal experience and some understanding that sometimes you, you have to let go in order to create a gravity about yourself in order to be able to kind of affect change and have people drift your way and listen to you and for you to have prosperity on your own. Right. I mean, that's kind of like what you're talking about. Not, not obsessing over the details, but, but taking a step back. Is that right? Yeah. That, I think it summarized well. I mean, that's what happened to me. Like I said, I mean, when I was a freshman in college and I started learning all this about the financial system and, and really how messed up everything was, I mean, um, I was depressed and I was, I just spent all day reading about how bad everything was. And, you know, really I was kind of a useless, depressed, angry person. Um, that's all it really was. And I think that I found there's a tendency for a lot of people that are, you know, aware that the world is, um, you know, headed in the wrong direction that they get caught up in a lot of details. And my life changed when I was really unhappy. And I said, 
look, this doesn't feel good and it's not helping me. What I need to do is focus on creating a really successful uh, business, really successful finances, and I need to feel like I have a sense of purpose in life. And that's when I went all in on my personal development business and brand and, and all that, that, that it entails. And, you know, I just, I went head, I went head down, um, on that, you know, and that was the only thing I focused on and cared about for, you know, for, for eight years from when I wrote the first book when I was 20 until, you know, the time I was 28 and, you know, um, then I, you know, I looked at my bank account and everything and, and I said, what am I doing? And then that's what kind of made me say, okay, I need to kind of get back into understanding what's, what's taking place right now in the system and, and everything. And that's what, you know, led me pretty strongly back into gold and miners and everything like that, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, you know, there's, I know a lot of people that know all these things about the system, but, um, you know, it, it's just you sit there and you click the buttons all day, but it doesn't help you get freedom. And I think that that needs to become more important to us, I guess. Jake Ducey, the YouTube channels are Jake Ducey, which is your main channel. And I love prosperity, which is your economics channel. I will put your links in the podcast description so that people can check out what kind of shit you're on. Because uh, if you're smoking mids, you may want to upgrade your shit before you get over to Jake's channel. <laughs> Jake's, on, Jake's on some other shit. But listen, man, I appreciate you so much. I know you got a beautiful new young baby in the house. And uh, you are a consummate family man. So I appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday morning to come on and talk to me, talk to my listeners. Uh, I think they will love you the way that I have learned to love you. Proud to call you friend, man. Oh, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was really fun. I appreciate your your energy and uh, you know your excitement, and it was fun to it was fun to have a unique conversation with you um, about all types of weird things. Yeah, dude, it's such is life, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, uh, no, I really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for uh, having me on, and yeah, it was it was fun to fun to talk to you all right speak to you soon thank you very much that was the one the only mr jake Ducey, my uh my new buddy man i like jake been corresponding with him since i went on his podcast last year and so make sure you check him out check his channel out uh and uh you know i think we need more people like him more open-minded people that are just willing to question the answers you don't have to be right you just got to question the answers that you're given that's it folks all right I am the fuck out of here. It is Sunday. I got shit to do. Peace.